So, whoa, hello, okay. Good morning, I hope everyone's doing well. You can send your connection cards down that way if you want to, please. We'd love to have them from you. And then also, is there a junior high class today? No. Okay, junior hires, you're doing great right where you're at. All right? So, um, I want to thank uh, the elders and uh, just all the different people who made it possible for us to be away at our vacation this past week. We had a great time. And um, just want to thank you for that. And uh, especially, you know, I heard that John uh, Reedy and uh, Cameron Garvin did a good job with the messages, and I got to listen to one of them anyway. It was very good. Um, while I was away, I saw there was another engagement, and did y'all just, did y'all not acknowledge that the other, like the Rileys are marrying off another one, right? Did we say anything about that? No? So David is engaged. Do they have a date or anything? No, not yet, not yet. Good. All right, good. Well, congratulations. You're getting another daughter-in-law. Yeah, there you go. And I saw something was terrifying, terrifying a moment ago. When the, all the teachers and people working with students stood up, David Donkey stood up. I'm like going, how did you get that through a background check? Do you not do psychoanalytical stuff with these people before you put them with children? Congratulations, I think. Are you working in Council Rock? Okay, that's fine then. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah, all right, good. So, um, we, um, uh, my family is at the Labor Day Retreat. There's about 35 of us are there, or give or take some, because some people are coming for a day, some people are going backwards and forwards and stuff like that. Yesterday morning, Dave Shaw came up and did our uh, devotional for us yesterday. And um, Betty Jo's leading worship there this morning. And, um, I, and then yesterday also, Bob Wood came up. This is what Bob Wood brought with him. Can I have my first slide, please? Oh, yeah, baby. There ain't nothing wrong with that picture. I'll show you the other picture at the other end of what happened to that piggy. And he did not go home. We had a good time. So give me a couple more clicks here. You know, one more click here. So No, oh, I didn't. All right, there we go. Anyway, but we, there's all kinds of stuff going on. We're doing our sports and our arts and crafts and all kinds of stuff. And mainly the main thing is just people being friends and hanging out with each other and having a good time and stuff. So anyway, it's a very good time, and we're grateful for those who organize it and put together stuff for it. This morning, we're, they're, they're testing some new technology with our PowerPoint and all like that, and so I'm, I'm waving at them when they do things back there. So very good, that works. But as good as this works, doesn't it? Anyway, so today open up your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews 11, all right? Hebrews 11, and um, I want to pray real quick as you're getting up for your Bible and uh, settle my own heart and my mind, and then we're going to look and see what the Lord has to say there. Father, I just thank you very much for your word as we say so often here. We, as we say so often, open up our minds and our hearts to what you'd have to say to us, Father, and prompt us. Let us know that you're speaking to us, and may we be keenly looking for that, because when we look, you, you are there. And so, Father, this morning, may that be true as we look into this passage from Hebrews. Father, we just thank you for um, Debbie and for the team leading us in worship, for Todd leading us in communion in this very um, important remembrance of, of the price that it cost to redeem us to yourself, of our prayer time for our students, our faculty, our staff, our teachers, and then, Father, we, um, this morning we just also pray for the other churches in our area who are meeting together and honoring you and, 
encouraging one another and seeking to know you and love you better. Father, we pray for the Middle East. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem and for your people there. We pray for the peace of Syria there. Lord, would you, we leave it in your hands. You turn the hearts of kings, and oh Lord, there are kings and powerful people whose hearts need to be turned. We relent to you because we, have, we are powerless. This morning, Father, um, we look to you in this word, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Hebrews 11, there's a lot of stuff you can do with Hebrews 11. Just, there's just so much. But by way of just introduction to it, by way of just getting our, our uh, acclimated to the passage and everything like that, the author has just spent chapters 1 through 10 discussing that Jesus is building this case, unpacking this truth to these Hebrew believers, this first, or Hebrew um, Jews, this first century Hebrew Jews, and he's been explaining to them that the sacrifice that they had been observing for centuries, numerous sacrifices, numerous types of sacrifices, the keeping of the law, all of that stuff, he says, all of that stuff has been fulfilled in one sacrifice, in Jesus. And he's explaining to them and building the case and helping them see from Scripture, from the Old Testament, from the prophets and, and from the law, that this one sacrifice is superior to all the sacrifices that they have been honoring. And so, and a matter of fact, um, he, he summarizes that in Hebrews 10. There we go. Hebrews 10, he says, and here in verse 14, as he's closing out that case, he says this, for by one offering he has perfected. One offering. One offering. One offering, he says. By one offering he has perfected. One superior offering that we come together and we, 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 we may remember, remind ourselves of the great cost of that one offering that perfects all others. I love matzah. And so he says, he says all of that, all of that, is, is summed up in this one offering here. And now then he says, now then, if I've convinced you of that, if you have come to a place where you're beginning to grasp that, what are you going to do with it? Well, what would a first century Hebrew do? They would work. They would keep a law. If there's one offering that is supreme to all these others, well, then what's the one thing I must do to have that be mine? Well, what have they always known? Keep a law. Do a thing. You gain these blessings. You get the approval of God by doing things. So chapters 1 through 10, he says, this one offering is the one you need. And then chapter 11 and ongoing, he goes, but you don't get it by works. You get it by faith. And so here in chapter 11, he's beginning to unpack what it means to have this offering by faith. He says, how would you take care? How do you want this? How do you, how does it become yours? He says, by faith. And now, let me explain to you the type of faith we're talking about, he says. So in chapter 1, here, can, we, can you go backwards for me one, one slide? He says here, chapter, chapter 11, rather, verse 1, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
This is from the New American Standard Version. Your Bible might have a different word in there. Matter of fact, does anyone else have a different word for assurance in your Bible? What do you have, Rosanna? Substance. That is very common. Yes. Anyone else have anything else? Say it again. Confidence. Okay, very good. The confidence, the assurance, the substance. Anyone else? Okay. So he says that now faith is the confidence, the assurance, the substance of things hoped for. And then he says the conviction of things not seen. And for by it, by it being faith, for by this faith the men of old, and when he says the men of old, he's talking about these men of the Old Testament, of, of the previous Testament, these prophets, these, these the, the leaders, the, the judges, all these people of the Old Testament, for by the, this faith all of them gained approval. And verse 3 says, And by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made, up, made out of things which are visible. There's some words here we want to investigate. There's some words we want to look at. And the very first one is that one assurance up there. Like you said, substance, confidence is some of the words you'll see there. In the, in the Greek, and I can't say that I'm, I'm, I'm a, a Greek speaker and all, but the Greek word there can, is upostasis. There you go. And status meaning to stand, and upo means under. So to stand under. So this faith stands under what we hope for. In other words, it has its, you can say it's also a foundation. There's also a legal aspect to this word that a first century Greek speaker would, would understand. And that legal aspect of this word has to be do with the documentation that I would present to say that my property is mine. So this word upostasis has that connotation to it. It is proving that it's mine. It's the title deed. Now, if you're a realtor, or if you're a lawyer, or you're like and you work in the related industries, like you understand that that title deed is a big deal. It means it's yours. And unless you can prove a title deed to sell your house, you're not selling it. So that title deed says, this is mine. Irrefutably mine. And so in essence what it's saying is, faith is the title deed of things hoped for. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for. Well, this next word we have in there also, conviction. It is the conviction of things not seen. Well, that word is very simply, it's, it's, it's not a big deal um, for translation, but it's, it's still meaning that a lot of the same thing. It's, it's strong personal belief. It's a persuasion, a certainty, an unswaying, immovable belief about something, or in, in, about someone even. So we could really translate verse 1, and I often feel like for me to help me understand it, I, um, I have to personalize a passage, I have to rewrite it. And so we would say that, there you go, that means go forward, Bob. There we go. Faith is the title deed of things hoped for. It is being immovably convinced of things not seen. Faith is the, is the title deed of things hoped for. It is being immovably convinced of things not seen. Well, we're not going to explore it here this morning. But think about 
what that means for your prayer life. That we pray by faith. And there's a lot of others who've done writing about it. Maybe we'll preach and learn about it and teach about it later on and learn together. But, you know, in essence, you know, to consider what it means for prayer, it means that praying like I already own it. Praying in faith. I'm believing in faith that I already own it. I'm believing in faith that it's already going to come true for my life. You know, it's God's guarantee in advance that we already possess what we ask for. There's, that's like a rattling kind of thought about the way we approach our prayer life and where we approach God, isn't it? So, verse 2, let's look at verse 2. Because, for by it the men of old gained approval. For by it. So this kind of faith, this kind of immovable, unshakable, title deed kind of living kind of way about what I think I believe by what the Bible says about it. For by living my life that way, the men of old, these old saints, these prophets, all these people gained approval. Well, that word of gained approval there is martuyo or something close to that. It looks like that. I don't know what it sounds like, but it looks like that right there. And basically it means to bear witness. Now think about that. For by having that type of faith, all of those men who've come before, those we know about, and thousands and millions of others perhaps, were testified to. Well, by whom? Well, by God. We know that. Matter of fact, what are some of your Bibles, other translations, they will use other words. What are some of the other things your Bible might say there for gained approval? Anyone got it? Commended for, yep, I love that. Commended for anyone else? Well reported of, great. Rosanna? Say it again. Obtained a good testimony? Yep, exactly. Say it again. Earned a good reputation. Yes, absolutely. All of those things, all of those things still are trying to capture what this one word means. And so, in other words, God gave witness. He testified regarding these old saints. We're going to come back to that thought. We're going to pick it up and we're going to close with that thought in a few minutes. But right now, there was an illustration where one pastor used to try and convey what faith does. And on, he speaks about two sailors being on a ship. And one looks out over the side of it. And I don't know if it's a bow or a stern or an aft or anything else. But a see, you have to tell me about that stuff. But he looks out over the side of the boat. He's looking out and he sees nothing. And he comes back and reports, there's nothing out there. No land right now. And another man goes out there and says, I absolutely see land. And I can tell you what it looks like. And the difference was a telescope. Faith. Faith is the telescope that brings the future promises of God into present focus. Faith enables us to see the unseen world that the natural man cannot see. Faith helps us to say, I know it's out there. Where the natural man, or even the carnal Christian, says, I don't see anything out there. I don't see anything at all. And so, matter of fact, he goes further in verse 3, and he says this, By faith we understand that the worlds 
are pre- were prepared by the word of God. And so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. So with this type of faith, the author suggested it should be natural for us to be able to believe that creation, all that we see, all that we feel, all that we taste, all that we're standing on, all that we experience in the context of this created world, that this stuff was created from nothing, from the unseen. That should be something we should be able to grasp, he says. As a matter of fact, Kenneth Weiss says it this way. I loved his comments on it, and so I'm going to make sure I use them, so I use them correctly. He says this, he says, Since the universe was framed by the word of God, it follows. The writer argues that what we have seen was not made out of that which was visible. Had the visible world been formed out of materials, which were subject to human observation, there would have been no room for faith. Did you catch that? Hang with me. He says, so, had the visible world been formed out of materials which were subject to human observation, if the world had been formed out of stuff we can see, there would be no room for faith. Science could have traced it back to its origin. Evolution only pushes the statement a stage back. There still is an unseen force that does not submit itself to experimental science, and this is the object of faith. Hmm, think about that. That's, that is an interesting comment that he makes there. He says that science could trace it back if we could say it was made out of something to its origin. Now then, let me just tell you something. Let's just think about that. I'm not going to tell you. You tell me. If some scientist someday says, we have traced back and we now know what the world was created from, who would we be talking about today? We'd be talking about him. We'd be talking about whether it's a, a Darwin or whether it's an Einstein or whether it's a, whatever the most common, whatever the scientist is. We'd be talking about him right now. And what does God say about his glory? I will not share it with anyone. And so therefore... He created a world that no one could trace back its creation so that those who ultimately really want to trace it back find him at that point of creation. Not a scientist, not a paper, not a book. No man's there. Only him. And that is incredibly offensive. That is incredibly, just such strong opposition to that. Because, you know, recently in our True Year series, the discussion was about all these men and women who had been trying to say, this is how the world started. And they'd write a theory. And then they'd come to a place where they go, well, I can't defend that theory. And they'd write another theory. And they'd go, well, this one has to be true. Because why? Why? Why does that theory have to be true? Because there cannot be a God involved. It couldn't have started from anything. It couldn't have started from nothing. It had to start with something. So this theory has to be right. It couldn't have been God. Because if it was, 
we would be under his power. And we will not do that. And therein was the sin of Satan. I will be like you. And so we as people say, we will be like him too. And we will figure out how you created this world. And we'll write you out of the equation so that we can be in it instead. Matter of fact, this week, I love how God does these things. I love how God does these things. And I came across a post by the, the Freedom from Religion Foundation. I wasn't looking for this, but I came across it, and this is what it said. I've begun worshiping the sun for a number of reasons. First of all, unlike some other gods, little GCs he says there, I could mention, I can see the sun. What is faith about? The things you can't see. And so what he says is, I want to be able to see my God. I can see the sun. It's there for me every day. And the things it brings me are quite apparent all the time. Heat, light, food, a lovely day. There's no mystery. No one asks me for money. I guess he doesn't like that, that, does he? All right? I don't have to dress up. Some of you didn't. Um, There's no boring pageantry. And interestingly enough, I found the prayers I offer to the sun and the prayers I offer, the formerly offered to God are all answered at about a 50% rate. Oh, did you notice who said that? A great theologian, George Carlin. (laughs) And yet, if you follow the thread... Hundreds say yes. So their theologian is a comedian. Another one offered a different take. Another one offered a different take. He says, oh, Mo, not, I don't worship the sun. I worship gravity, he said. Gravity is my God. It affects all of us equally, every religion, race, and culture. So he wants equality and fairness, which is something that God doesn't really offer that same way. He grounds us even when we don't feel secure. It's there for, every, uh, for us every second when we need it. The fatter you get, the better it holds you down. I guess he must be a certain person of size. He appreciates that. When the apples get ripe, it brings them to us, as if he couldn't reach up and grab one. If there was ever a god, it would be more like gravity and be named by who? Yeah, there we are, baby. Not by people who don't understand what it is. And then finally, the last comment that I decided to pull and use, and interestingly enough, I just want to say this, is that analytical in this post was misspelled every single time. (laughs) There you go. So there's a highly analytical person who posted this, probably using a comedian as his theologian. Um, Science involves analytical thought based on accepted evidence. Evidence I can see. Faith defies analytical thought and demands blind belief. Those of faith derive their belief from a foundation document. There you are. It's interesting he used foundation document, isn't it? When we're discussing hypostasis. A foundation document, a holy book, that most have never read completely. Ouch. And of which only certain parts are selectively believed and practiced. Ouch. Now then, this particular comment I thought was interesting. Because in this particular comment, he admits he wants to be able to see it, feel it, touch it, and all that. He wants to be part of defining God. But then he pokes his finger in our eyes, and he does so rightly. 
Because I'm sure that some of us would fall into lying if we were to say, how many of us have read our entire Bible this morning? Because some of us would do it so that we wouldn't have to say we hadn't. And then not only that, but then the last part of his statement is that selectively and believed and practiced. Well, enough said about that. We're going to move on. That's not the message for today. And so here you see that this whole thing about that the world was created from nothing, that is a huge, huge, huge stumbling block. And so you see the problem with faith. It's too simple, they say. It can't be that easy, they say. And yet, having faith in what you've not seen, isn't that hard? Isn't defining our will but what I can see, isn't that pretty easy? So, faith in itself is a stumbling block. And then you throw Jesus in there, and boy, it is a huge stumbling block. And so, what we have then is this definition of faith. Let's go back to the first, my next slide, please. That definition of faith, again, no, go to the next, go forward, go forward. One more, one more right there. That definition of faith, you know, it's, it's not just faith in anything. I mean, because scientists would say, I place my faith in science, so to speak, wouldn't they? It says that we have faith in what is unseen. And so it's not that we just have faith and blind faith in things. It is a faith in someone. And so when you read the entire chapter of 11, and it's talking about people having faith, men and women having faith, and what they did because of that faith, it wasn't because they believed, like, perhaps in, in heaven or something like that. It's because they believed in what? In the one that is. Because what did they believe in? In the one that was unseen. It wasn't that they believed in a thing. It wasn't that they believed in a theology. It wasn't even, I, I just have to say, I don't even think that you would say, it wasn't that they even believed in a book. But they believed in the author of the book, which gave the book reason. Which gave the book validity. Their faith was in one, in someone. And so the key to chapter 11 is found right here in verse 6 and verse 27. And that without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe he is. And that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And in verse 27, speaking here, it says, And by faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. And so what did this kind of faith do? So they, they believed what they could not see, and that was such compelling to them, that was, that was so compelling to them, that was so convincing, that was so immovably convincing that they did things. Amazing things. Remember, salvation by faith is not works. It's salvation by faith not works. It is salvation by faith, not works. Can you give me the next slide, please? Salvation by faith. Faith in Christ alone. It's not works. 
faith in Christ for salvation produces works. And so, let me just use it. Let me just use it. So on this side of the line, it's about faith. There's no works on this side of the line, but on this side of the line right here, on that center stripe line, on that moment of salvation over here, it has to produce works. Because then what happens is James says that. Faith without works is dead. So he's not saying that you have to have faith and you have to do works to get saved. He's saying that once you have faith in Christ, it should compel you to works. It should motivate you to works. It should be that I have seen the one who is unseen and he was so clear to me that I cannot do anything but move forward in this unspeakable, unanswerable, unimaginable situation in my life. And some of you have done that. I know the story of Cindy Newman when she was, she was, her life was in danger at the birth of that child over there, and she says, I have perfect peace right now. Because she had seen the unseen one. You listen to Dave Shaw share his testimony like he did yesterday, and he says, I sleep now. Because he's seen the unseen one, and the unseen one has wiped away his entire past. And you can go through this room and there's stories like that in this room. But let's look at later on in this passage. Click again for me, please. Later on in this passage, um, in Hebrews, in 34, he's speaking of Daniel and he says, but he doesn't refer to him immediately. Verse 34, he says here. Oh my word. Wrong chapter. It's terrible when you do that. Verse 34, he says, he says, but what shall we say? Verse 32. For, for time will fail us if we try and speak of all these others. And he begins to just refer to their circumstances. Who by faith they conquered kingdoms and so on and so forth. And in verse 34 he says, they quenched the power of fire. He's speaking of Daniel there. They quenched the power of fire. And so you go back to Daniel and flip over in your Bible. I'd love for you to be there with me. Meet me there, please. And go back to Daniel 9. I mean, sorry, Daniel 3. And there in Daniel 3, verse 16 through 18, we have the story of Daniel and his friends being cast into the fiery furnace. And so to kind of get you to the story, what has just happened is, is that the king says, bow down and worship this idol, and you'll be saved. But if you don't bow down and worship, I am going to cast you in this fiery furnace, and you will be consumed by the flames. And so there in 16 through 18 in chapter 3, he says this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. Had they know that? Had they ever seen fire not consume someone? Had they ever seen it? I believe, I think it's a, sure, it's a safe bet to say that everything that ever put in fire had been consumed. And so why is it that these three men are not talking about documents? They're not talking about their possessions. They're talking about their very life. And they say, you can throw me in that fire, and if it is God's choice, I will not be consumed. Now, where was their evidence for ever thinking that could happen? They had seen the unseen one and believed he was capable But they go on. And 
And they say, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Where does that boldness come from? Where does that happen? It happens because they are so immovably convinced that he is worth this. And there's nothing you can do, O king, to make me do otherwise. That is a deep, founded, immovable faith on something that is unseen, producing a work that is unimaginable, producing deeds that are unimaginable. Remember that in verse 2, it says that Daniel was commended, and so were all of these. You see, because if you really have faith, you will act upon it. If you really believe that the unseen is capable of saving your carcass in the midst of an unimaginable circumstance, it makes you stand out in the crowd. It makes you say things and do things that you never thought would come out of your mouth or that you would ever do. Because he is capable. Genuine faith moves us to do things that we've never dreamed of doing. So the goal of faith, though, just keep this in mind. Here we are in this story, you know, we, we kind of know the ones like Abraham, he got a son when it was kind of capably impossible, right? Daniel got thrown in fire and he came out unsinged. All these stories of faith re, re, result in this amazing circumstances. And yet, that's not always true. Because it says some of these did not receive the reward. And yet they're commended. So what is the goal of faith? Is faith something I can pull out? Here we go. Wait a minute. Here we go. Excuse me, Lord. I need some faith. I've, there's some on my balance. And I swipe it. Ding, ding. You've been approved. You've got faith. You're not going to get burned up in the fire today. Excuse me, Lord. They said I have cancer. Ding, ding. You're cured. Don't worry about your cancer anymore. Excuse me, Lord. My spouse is walking out on me. That's okay. I've taken care of it. He'll be back in the morning. No. Not at all. Faith is about having God, the creator of the universe, stand up and say, I know that man. And this is what his faith looks like. It resulted in this. This is what it looked like. When he was threatened to be thrown into the fire, he said that I was capable. When his circumstances were absolutely overwhelming, he pointed to me. 
I commend him. I am giving witness to his faith. It is commendable. The goal is not to be rescued. That's not what faith is about. Faith faith is to gain his approval, to be commended by him, and to give him to reflect his glory, to point back to him. That's what faith is about. So this morning I want to ask you a question. Click twice for me, please. I want to ask you a question. One more time. There we go. This morning, how would you describe your faith? What kind of words would you use? If God was going to add an addendum to chapter 11b, would he put your name in there at all? Even if he didn't put your name in there, would he be referring to you by just some circumstance like he did with so many others? Because he says, we, time does not even allow us to mention all of them. Would you be in there anywhere at all? What kind of word would you describe your faith with? Alive? Vibrant? Crawling? On hospice? Do you need the paddles? <laughs> to kind of bring it back to life? You know, think about this. Let me ask you this question. Who among the heroes of faith would you identify with as a person? Because when you go through the list, there's hookers in there. There's kings in there. There's all kinds of people in there. As a person, who would you relate to in that list? What brokenness in your life can you identify with the brokenness of their life? And now realize this. That the faith they had and they were committed for, you are also capable of that same type of faith and could be commended for it as well. The faith that was read about in the Bible, it's not reserved for someone else's pages. It's meant for us in this room. It's meant for me. And so James says that faith, that, you know, that, that faith without works, without demonstrating that you have faith in something, is dead. And so that one guy who said that they only believe some of it, I think he's talking about a lot of us who say, I have faith in the unseen one, but I sure ain't going to go to that place. I ain't going to do that thing. You could get killed doing that stuff. They pay attention when we step out into faith and we do stuff that doesn't make sense. We do stuff that they would not do and we point back to him and we say, today, right now, in this circumstance, I'm doing this because the one that we can't see is undergirding me, is my foundation for what I'm saying and doing here today. It's all about him. It's not about me.
Let's pray. Father, this morning we come confessing that we are people so often of weak faith, just like your saints in this chapter were. These people in this chapter were broken. They, they, they doubted. They resorted to their own means. They, they tried to work around you or in spite of you. And yet, you still list them in this book because somewhere along the way, they demonstrated such great faith that you commended them for it because you testified to them for it. Lord, many of us think that we are not capable of such faith or that you would not commend us because of our past or even because of us in this moment. But you bring circumstances into our life that give us the opportunity to step into faith, that give us the opportunity to step into saying, because I believe in the one that I've never seen, because I believe in what Scripture says about him, I am stepping out here today in this moment to see him do something that I can't explain. But not only that, even if I I were to perish in this moment, I believe that he will commend my faith, and I want to be commended by him. Lord, may the desires of our heart be consumed with you so much that our circumstances fall into the background. They go to gray. They go to nothing as we desire to exalt you and to find you saying, I approve of that one. He is my servant. His faith is great. Lord, let it be, let it be for all of us. And start with me. In your name we pray, amen. Have a great day, folks. If you want to come up and chat, I'd love to chat with you.